fifthkind.tv It wasn't just people citing craft, it was interacting with entities such as the one the family experienced on the farm that you mentioned. With things that have happened in the last couple of years, I'm actually starting to worry now that this is real. I actually believe that Susan and maybe tens of thousands of other people, if not more, have actually been abducted and in some cases, which is horrific, harvested. Welcome to Fifth Kind TV. G.L. Davies is the author of the worldwide best-selling Haunted Horror of Haverford West and Ghost Sex, The Violation. He created the ParanormalChronicles.com in October 2013, and he is the host of the Paranormal Chronicles podcast. Born in 1975, G.L. Davies lives in Pembrokeshire, West Wales. He studied hauntings in 19th century literature, and his reports from Paranormal Chronicles have made national and international news. His investigations, presented in book form, have sold over 125,000 copies and have been number one bestsellers in seven different countries. That's like writing a bestseller 25 times over. G.L. Davies, welcome to Fifth Kind TV. Paul, oh, thank you so much for allowing me to come on your fantastic channel, Fifth Kind. I'm an absolutely huge fan, and this is a tremendous and humbling honour. And as you know, I am, I'm probably, it sounds a bit creepy already, but I'm probably your number one fan because I'm such a big fan of Escaping from Eden. And I'm just, uh, I'm just sorry that our paths didn't cross a bit sooner while Escape from Eden and Harvest were taking form because I think if we could join those projects you know, we would, have, we would have done some damage to the world. Oh, well, there's, there's, there's plenty of time uh, to be getting into collaborations, which I'm very much looking forward to do. But I want to focus in this conversation on Harvest, your latest book, Harvest, the true story of an alien abduction. And I've got a couple of reviews here that I'm just going to read back to you. Susan Plunkett, author of the Mission from Venus series, said, writing Harvest was an act of courage and compassion. And then this reviewer says, I really commend G.L. Davies for bringing Harvest to us. No spoilers other than to say it's not for the weak-hearted. Prepare yourself for a thoroughly arresting and engrossing read, thought-provoking and rewarding. That's from the author of Escaping from Eden. So uh, full disclosure, I am a huge fan of your new book, Gavin, Harvest, The True Story of Alien Abduction, I read it, was absolutely absorbed by it, was very confronted by it. Uh, my wife and I read it together, and we were just full of conversation every evening about what we'd read and full of questions. So we're going to get into all of those questions in our conversation today. But I want to begin by setting the scene, because Harvest happens in Pembrokeshire, West Wales, and... Before I read Harvest, I thought Pembrokeshire was a lovely, quiet, peaceful part of Wales. And having read Harvest, um, I've learned a different story. Anyone who's heard of the Welsh Triangle will know there's another layer of story here. So fill us in, Gavin. Tell us what has been happening in that part of Wales and how does that provide the context for what happens in your book, Harvest? 
Well, Pembrokeshire is, is geographically, it's a very beautiful place. It's a very large, very isolated county. It's a, a big county sticking into the sea off Wales. And Wales is beautiful in itself. So, like, if you go all the way across Wales, you'll get to the end, which is us. So we're kind of like the end of a line kind of county. It's predominantly based on agriculture, the fishing, uh, and the estuary. The estuary is uh, the second largest natural harbour in Europe and is home to many refineries, power plants and great big oil tankers and LNG ships. So we've also got quite a strong military um, kind of presence here as well. So if we go back in time to the late 70s, there had been UFO sightings in Pembrokeshire in 1976. There's two that were recorded by the local paper, the Western Telegraph. But when this UFO flap really gained traction was on, I believe it is February the, the 5th or 6th, 1977, in a small little village called Broadhaven. Now, Broadhaven is a small coastal village, a uh, very beautiful place, beautiful beach. And uh, the local school there, uh, 16 children aged between 9 and 11 claimed on their lunch break, on their playtime break, that they saw a strange silver-shaped, sorry, silver-coloured, cigar-shaped, object with a dome and it appeared to be struggling to clear some trees almost as if it was tethered to it now the children were very excited by this some were confused some were worried they went back to their teachers who put them in touch with the headmaster ralph llewellyn and under exam ex uh, examination conditions he sat them down and asked them to draw or write down what they'd seen and pretty much all the pictures were the same they had the same principles of the cigar shaped the silver, the dome, and there was little flares and flourishes and embellishments, but the, the basics were there. Now, one of the admin teachers, she saw it as well, and she was told to just say it was a sewerage truck. Now, there was a sewerage <laughs> plant. Yeah, there was a sewerage plant uh, a couple of fields away. So she went over there, and she went up to the gate, spoke to one of like the supervisors, and said, look, did you have one of some of your machinery or trucks down by the school? Uh, this afternoon and they're like no we couldn't get our machinery this too boggy it's too difficult to get to and that made national and then international news the BBC covered it at length uh, John mm. Craven which was a, an institution at the time of children's television actually covered a news story and spoke to the headmaster on the phone so it just captured the imagination so before you know it, the hysteria has taken grip across Pembrokeshire. It's ignited like a forest fire. It's just everybody and literally their mother is seeing UFOs, lights. But the main cusp of the story uh, focused on a family called the Coombs family, which had a farm called Ripperston Farm. Now, if you're ever in Broadhaven, you can actually see the farm up on the clifftop. Very lonely looking farm on a very rugged coastline. And... The mother claimed, Pauline Coombs, she claimed that while driving her children home one night, an orange, an orange ball of fire or light chased the car. And as the ball was getting closer to the car, the car cut out and she had the free wheel back to the farmhouse with this object followed and blew the TV and most of the electrics in the house. We're talking 70s, very, very basic time, especially in Pembrokeshire. You know, I was 15 in 90 I was 14 or 15 in 1989 and I remember we had a telephone line put in the house and radiators that's how wow yeah 1989 1990 yeah so you know certainly it wasn't mobile phones internet broadband things of that nature very very different way of life 
So this family seemed to be the center of this program of activity by strange alien beings. They were watching TV one Saturday night back in the days when there was only three channels. At midnight, the, the film would end and the national anthem would come up and then you'd have static and all the family were in the living room, the family dog, the mum, the dad, the brothers and sisters, when at the seven-foot farm window, they claimed to have seen a seven-foot spaceman uh, glowing. So the dad, he just wakes up out of a slumber. He panicked. He threw the dog out. The dog just ran off. Um, and this, this thing just glided off. Uh, the dog was so frightened, they had to put it down. And when the police arrived, one of the police guys who investigated, who turned up at the crime scene, he went on to have a very illustrious career within the police. And he said in his time, he has investigated rapes and murders, but he's never seen a family so terrified by what they'd seen. So all of this, there was this they were at the epicenter of all this activity. The farmer, the guy, all his cows got moved five miles in seconds. He was, he was tending to them in a shed. The phone was ringing up at the farmhouse. He walked to the farmhouse. The neighboring farmer said, all your cows are in our field. And he's like, don't be daft. I've just literally been with them in the 40 seconds it's taken to walk here. And just out of, you know, just out of pure, like, oh, okay, then, he walked back to the shed and all the cattle had been transported, right? And they all Ooh. had his mark. And um, one of the children claimed that a disembodied hand was making its way through the house and touched it and she had severe burning. So this happened pretty much in 1982. Now, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I had started investigating a very prolific haunting in Halford West, which went on to be haunted horror of Haverford West. And then I followed up then with a more personal account with a lady who claimed she'd been the victim of spectrophilia, which is paranormal sexual abuse, as well as quite a prolific haunting. So those two investigations have been incredibly draining on me. And I remembered when I was 10 years old, so 1985, so this is about three or four years after what had happened with the UFO cases that my teacher in school on a Friday afternoon read us a book called The Uninvited, which was a documentation of what happened to the Coombs family. And I was terrified. So we'd been used to Roald Dahl and nice books. I got C.S. Lewis, The Hobbit. And then we'd be read a book called The Uninvited in class. And that dreamy Friday afternoon became a nightmare. I went home absolutely terrified thinking of hands coming to get me and lights and spacemen. And my gran was a, you know, she was a very rational woman. And she's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Very religious woman as well. You know, oh, God, God will look after you. And I'm thinking, God didn't really look after the people in that book very well. So my dad came home from his night shift and he sat on the bed and um, he said, you know, what's up? And I said, Miss Redis's book, it really upset me. And he said, have you ever seen a ghost? And when I was four, I had an imaginary friend. I can't remember any of this, but I had an imaginary friend. I used to talk to him. He was a gentleman in a top hat. He smoked a pipe, had a waistcoat, he had a gold watch, all this cool stuff. He's my imaginary friend until all the adults saw this uh, figure materialize in the corner of the room, exactly as I described it. And a bit of research showed that he was a, a regular haunt. Um, we lived in a, in a, a refurbished mill. And he, the, as the story goes, the legend was he lost the mill in a gambling uh, event, and he, he he killed himself, but he haunted there. But I don't know if that was true. I'm just going on everyone else's word. But my dad said, have you seen a ghost? Well, I think so. Did he hurt you? No. So 
we when we were about seven, which would have been the time of all of this, me and my father walked down dark lane, we saw this huge light just come, just, it was just above the clouds, and then there's a huge flash, and it just shot up. And he said, have we ever seen a UFO? And I said, yeah. And he said, did it hurt us? And I was like, we were frightened, because he ran. I tell you now, he ran home, and he had my, he ran me home, right? But he said, no, nah, we weren't frightened. And I said, we were, and he's like, no, we weren't, we were fine. I had to get home because the soccer was on. So um, he just instilled in me that it's all right. Like, if there is this other world, that it should be explored. It's not frightening. If anything, it's exciting. And, you know, and he said to me, he's a very cynical man. He said, it's the living, not the dead, that will do you more harm. So at 10 years old, not only have I become very cynical about people, I've also now got this lust and this inquisitiveness to, like, explore the paranormal and mystery. So from that day, I, I started devouring every book I could on ghosts, whether it's fiction or something like R.C. Clarke's Mysterious World or Photographs of the Unknown. On Danikin's Chariots of the Gods. So fast forward in again to my quandary. I've written Haunted Horror of Half West, very dark, very depressing. It really played havoc with my bipolar. I'd finished, I was kind of putting together Go Sex the Violation. And I wanted to do something a little bit less um, you know, dark, little a little thing, a little bit less um taxing on my emotional state. So I thought, I'm going to go and reinvestigate this whole UFO flap from the 80s. And I started investigating people, and some people said they lied because they just wanted the attention. And some people said they said they didn't see something when they did because they were told to shut up. So I was like, this is absolutely fantastic. It's like an mm. onion. It's like the more layers you peel off, there's just another layer, another layer. And what I like about the whole UFO phenomena, which is different from, say, like your hauntings and your demons and your spectrophilia and things of that nature, is there's so many, it's such an, there's so, so much ambiguity to the UFO phenomenon spectrum because you can go anywhere with it too. You can go the psychological route. You can go the aliens, dimensional beings, time travelers, hollow earth, Nazis on the moon, Russian technology, American te technology. You, you, there is so much scope. You can go back and forth on that spectrum. And each layer is just as interesting as the last. Now, just for clarification for all your viewers, I'm not a psychic medium. I, I'm not an expert. I'm not, you know, I don't have gifts or abilities. I am someone who's interested in the topic of the paranormal. And I will uh, discern and isolate a particular case I think is very, very interesting to me. And I will investigate that one area fully, like absolutely fully. I will go back and back over the same information with the subject until I get what I believe is an accurate testimony of what happened at particular times, put it into a timeline and then I just bookend each section with my own thoughts. So when you read my stuff, I'm not going to say to you, oh, yes, this woman was definitely had sexual relations with a ghost and ghost sex violation. I'm going to tell you this is what she believes. And this is the psycholo psychological rationale. These are the notes from my investigation into the house. These are other cases. And I put it all together so that you, the reader, join me on my investigation you are sat there as an armchair investigator, and then you can email me and say, do you know what, Gab, I read your book, and I think maybe this was a possible explanation, or I had a similar experience, 
And then that means that case is building and going on and on and on until we can make some sense. So I was like, right, Pembrokeshire, 1977, 1982, that is going to be huge. That's going to be like a decade's worth of investigating. Spoke to one kid, well, when I say kid, one man, he was a child back then, and he said that those school children made it up. He said they planned it. But then another child said he was saying that because he didn't feel he had enough uh, there was wasn't enough attention and focus put on him, right? So I went on I went on the paranormalchronicles.com as I do, uh, and I'll put a little shout out if you've had any alien interactions, you've got any stories, blah blah blah, as a journalist will do. And I was it was focused on the the, the Welsh Triangle UFO flap, and boom, this young lady I didn't know she was young. This woman we'll call her Susan for now. She contacts me saying about got some very worrying and interesting uh, encounters. So I met up with it at that very famous coffee shop, Paul, you know, which will be world famous by the time me and you are done. <laughs> and if anyone sees me there, they just assume that the person I'm having coffee with has had some kind of horrific paranormal experience. So this woman turns up very tall, very beautiful, very elegant, very articulate, totally out of character for what I was expecting, certainly far too young to have been part of that original ufo flap so i just assumed she was talking on behalf of maybe some older relatives maybe just sussing me out seeing what i was all about you know was i going to sensationalize this but after very quickly realized she was talking about something totally different she was talking about a very contemporary experience that was happening to her now and had begun about five years before and nothing could prepare me for it. In my head, I was taking a nostalgic trip back in time, which was more of a focus on the county of Pembrokeshire as it was at that time, the military presence that was in Pembrokeshire at the time, because it's very worth noting that Pembrokeshire at that time, we had a United States Air Force base, we had a Royal Air Force base, we had a submarine tracking uh, Cold War defence programme, and we had an early warning radar defence base as well. And, you know, in the mythology, people say a lot of these UFOs and spacemen and weird tankers and trucks and things flying out the sea was the military. But this case with Susan was totally, totally different. And even talking to it now, and I spoke to her about it a lot, and that book was, has been a process for six years, it still shocks me that this is happening. And I've kind of, and I'll be honest with you, Paul, and I'll be honest with your audience, where I've kind of sat on the fence in my beliefs with things that have happened the last couple of years in your book and your research and other people's research i'm actually starting to worry now that this is real but this isn't this just can't be passed off as psychological as based on rationale and this and that i actually believe that susan and maybe tens of thousands of other people if not more have actually been abducted and in some cases which is horrific, harvested. Now, let me pause you there, because I want to take stock of what you've told us, because you've covered a lot of ground. Yes, First of all, I thank you so much for sharing what you did about your early years, because that really gives us an insight into why Gavin is now a paranormal investigator. That wonderful conversation with your dad, where he's affirming experiences that you had, you know, because a lot of parents would want their kids to stop talking about something anomalous 
that had happened or that they thought they'd seen or an imaginary friend. But in your case, you had seen something, your family saw it, and you weren't ordered to forget about it. You were encouraged to be bold in your engagement with the world, not be frightened of things that you'd seen, but just to be willing to run home fast and watch the match, you know, <laughs> should it ever happen again. So it, that I love those stories because that helps me to understand why being a paranormal investigator is such an organic thing for you. And you mentioned all these cases, um, the uh, sightings of UFOs, close encounters. During the 70s and 80s, I mean, that spat, there were four books written about it. That's how substantial the phenomenon, how long-lasting it was. And it wasn't just people citing craft. It was interacting with entities such as the one the family experienced on the farm that you mentioned. So there's a real substantial collection of story there in that part of Wales. And then we get to the coffee shop, which uh, features in the sequel to Escaping from Eden, as you know. And there you are in that coffee shop. By that point, people now know that you're a, a, a paranormal investigator, a researcher, uh, you're known for your previous books. And so people seek you out to share their stories with you. And so Susan was one of a number who'd met you at that coffee shop to, to share their stories. What was it about Susan's story that stood out that made you think, no, I'm not going to do a general purpose book about the amazing sequence of experiences in this part of Wales. I'm just going to focus on this one case study and I'm going to spend six years on it. There must have been something pretty outstanding about what Susan, as we call her, had to tell you to, to get that response from you. Yeah, of course. Now, not every day, that would be an exaggeration, but frequently... I'll get emails, messages on my social media. Like I'm, I'm very easy to find. The Paranormal Chronicles, Facebook, Instagram. If anybody out there is really interested in discovering what Pembrokeshire looks like, more focus on actual Pembrokeshire, the, beast, uh, the beaches and the history and all, go to my Instagram, the Paranormal Chronicles, right? So it, it, it's not all like book promotions and stuff like It's more about just the history of Pembrokeshire and the coastline and the haunts, you know, the castles and all. Um, so I'm very easy to find on social media, you know, and when I have time, I will, I will get back to you. I will email you personally. I'm interested. I love listening to people's accounts, but as a symptom of that is that I do get some very odd requests and I don't want to knock anybody. Um, I'm not here to judge or label anyone, but I have to discern what, what can I actually explore? So, for example, um, I had an email through from a woman um, who claimed that she came home from work and her uh, husband was home and she didn't expect him to be home. So she went in. She's like, hi, hi. And he was upstairs. She could hear him in the shower. She went up. Um, this is her husband. What's he doing in the shower? So she opened the door. You know, nothing strange in that. They've been married a long time. And she claimed... In the bath was an octopus kind of creature, and there was like a skin suit on the floor with like a zip. And she was like, "Would you do you want to write a book about that? Would it be a Netflix series? How much do you pay?" 
And I'm not interested in that because the first thing I said to her was, oh, did you take a photo? And she said, oh, no, he's not very photogenic. And I'm like, okay, so, so like without, if anybody has had that experience and they're like, well, actually that is a real experience, you know, I'm not knocking you, but I need to root my investigation in this world in areas that we, the, the avenues we can explore, you know, and things where I can collate against weather reports, police reports, newspaper reports, you know. So when Susan came to me, she was incredibly articulate, incredibly intelligent. She was very sullen, very, she had, she had a lot of weight, like, like emotional weight on her. Very, like, very slight, tall woman. And most of the subjects I had, like, very blue-collar, working-class Pembrokeshire people. And that's another appeal for me, is that these are ordinary people. Fourteen times, when they, when they um, reviewed Harvest, they gave it a glow in review and said, this is what happens when paranormal entities latch on to ordinary people. And that's what I like about my subjects. They're ordinary Pembrokeshire people. Mum and dads that work hard. They like a pint in the evening. They like watching the soccer match. They take their kids on holiday. You know, they work hard and it's all about family. So Susan was very different because, A, she was in a, her IQ is incredibly high. And then that's a worry, worry as well, is am I dealing with someone who's got a highly functioning mental health condition? Am I dealing with, like, say, like a sociopath or a psychopath mm. or someone's got like a split personality? But very soon I realized that Susan was just what she wanted from me was catharsism. She needed to come out the closet. She needed to unburden herself and tell somebody who would not label her or judge her and protect her identity, okay? So if we look at Susan, right, obviously that's not a real name. Uh, she's protecting her name until a day where I believe two things will happen. One, her parents die, and B, mm. people who come out about their experiences aren't putting a paper and there's little jokes about little green men and tin tinfoil hats and anal probes, right? And that day is coming. We'll discuss that later, but that day is coming, okay? Susan was on a fast track to success. She was from uh, an upper-class family, a professional family from money, and they were highly skilled people in what they did. We're talking a family of professionals, and she was following in that route. She was in higher education to get all the, all the uh, qualifications she needed to follow in her footsteps. We're talking about a beautiful young woman, highly intelligent, um, who... For all intents and purposes, it's not a judgment. It's born with a silver spoon and a silver splatter, a silver platter. And, you know, we're talking career, high-figure salary, nice home, good-looking husband, great kids, everything in life. And out of the blue, like, like she said herself, these things, they will pluck us from the earth like corn, hence the name Harvest. We have no control over it. She has no control. So she started opening up. And at the beginning, there's a feeling out process between me and her. I want to know, is she a fantasist? Is she delusional? Is there a mental health issue? I'm not a psychologist, but I've spoken to enough people to know a BSer who's looking for a quick, easy buck, buck, buck or attention, as opposed to somebody who is mm. genuinely concerned and worried and hoping I can just open up her story so she just gives it to someone else. 
And not only is Susan's story in Harvest, the true story of alien abduction, catharsisism for her, more importantly, it's a warning for every single person on the planet. Can you just, without uh, giving too many spoilers, uh, because it really is an incredible story, and I'd encourage everyone to read it, give us an idea of the kind of experiences that Susan was describing, because uh, the subtitle gives away that it was some kind of an abduction experience. But, uh, you know, there's a spectrum of abduction phenomena. And Susan's is really on the dark side of that spectrum. Um, it was it, it, it's quite a harrowing read, really. And we were talking just before we started recording what what rating the book should have, how old you should be before you read <laughs> Harvest, <laughs> because. Uh, close encounters of the cinematic kind can only do so much to prepare you for what Susan reports in the book. Can you just give us uh, some of the motifs, some of the kinds of experience uh, that she reported to you? Yeah, of course. And I think it's very, very important, something you've acknowledged, and I think it's very, very important because a lot of your viewers, they have not had a negative ET encounter not everything is all doom and gloom, but at the same time, it's not all ET and, uh, you know, spiritual enhancement. You know, there is a spectrum from spiritual enlightenment and very, very positive interactions. And then you go all the way across into just like abduction, experimentation, hybridization until full harvesting. And we can't understand their motives. Trying to understand their motives is like trying to explain to a cat why we're using a microwave and driving to the supermarket to get food. We can communicate all we wish, but it's just going to be that non-compatible communication. And like Whitley Strieber in Communion, you know, he had the, you know, the anal probes and the abductions, but he saw it as an incredibly positive experience. Keith Anthony Blanchard, he had, an, the author of Homecoming, who we both know, mm -hmm. um, he had positive experiences. Now, Susan... They were neither enhancing, positive, spiritual, or anything positive from it. And we're talking about someone who is not subscribed to that way of thinking. She's not religious. Mm. By her own admission, they didn't talk about ghosts and UFOs. It wasn't on their radar. These are professional people. She can't come out and be on daytime TV or the front page of a paper or sat here herself because she's lost everyone in her life as a result. And her parents will not understand this and they will disown her. Like she's she's just gone traveling. Now, Susan is currently in Australia somewhere. You know, I might actually see if I could connect you two because I think that'd be quite interesting. Um, because she doesn't believe she's going to be alive for very much longer because they've put a focus on it. So we go to kind of like the early days, right? And I'm going to give you uh, an example. It's like her first experience. And to us and to viewers of your channel, it's not going to seem that that like that, that, that uh, sensational. So, her and some friends from her higher education, they go to a farmhouse for a weekend. It's a girlies' night. They got their pajamas on, bottles of Rioja and wine, fires lit, and they're just having a nice girly time. They work incredibly hard in their education. They're letting their hair down. Susan goes to the loop. And this farmhouse is in the middle of nowhere, right? It's down a very, very long track to get to it, right? I found it on Google Maps. It does exist, okay? And she's in the loo, and coming down the track, she can see some car lights. 
Now, if a car gets lost on that track, it is committed to having to come all the way down to the farmhouse and reverse and go back. It's just one of those typical mm. rural out in, out in the sticks places, right? So Susan sat on the loo watching his car come down, and she said the lights went out in the she lights went out. She had she heard all the girls downstairs make like excited noises because the lights had gone out. She claimed that the this car light started to rise, and with that, a huge bright light came from the skylight above her. And she said she was sat on the loo, you know, and she's there looking up through her hands. She said the light was so bright she could see like the the bones and the veins through her hands. Um, and then the light vanished and uh, all the power came back in the house and all the girls downstairs were cheering. So Susan, being incredibly rational, said, OK, three things have happened. Right. And they're not coincidental. The power went out because there's a fault with the line. In Pembrokeshire, we have red helicopters that follow the lines to check the working. Mm -hmm. So the truck that came down. She reckons that was one of the maintenance vans and the reason it, it lifted was because there was like a crane on the back, like one of those uh, lifts on the back. Helicopter flew over the house, the power went and it was fixed, right? That's what she rational, like, rationalized, right? She didn't think anything more of it. She went downstairs and all the girls like, where have you been? She said, I just went to lose. She said, you've gone 10, 15 minutes. She said, no, I haven't. I've been gone like three minutes, two or three minutes at most. Girls are lit candles, the fire's been made big. Mm. You go to check their phones, the phones are all dead. They have to reboot and recharge them. Nobody thought anything more of it. Now, next to the farmhouse is uh, a barn that has been converted, right? And the bottom has been converted into a garage, and the top has been converted into a holiday cottage for tourists or friends and family, like a guest house. So Susan had bags eyed that she would sleep there that night with the family pet, her friend's family pet, because she had a secret vice, and that was smoking. Now, in her profession, smoking was not, not a, a thing to do. So everyone says goodnight. It's about two in the morning. She goes in. The dog runs up the stairs. It jumps on the bed. She goes down. She has a cigarette. She flicks it out, closes the door, locks the door, goes up to bed, glass of water by the side of the bed. She's a bit woozy because they have drunk quite a lot by their own admission. She falls asleep. About an hour and a half later, she senses there's something in the room. The dog starts to get a bit more agitated. The dog starts growling. She said there was like a flash of blue light. The dog leapt. There was a flash of blue light. The dog whimpered in pain. And then she said, next thing, the whole room was flooded in columns of light through where this incredibly bright light was coming through the skylights in, in this building. And she claims that as the lights went out, uh, a shiny-headed face head came up to her. And she described it, which is quite a powerful image for me to kind of like hold on to. That if somebody had a proper fully enclosed crash helmet, but it was on back to front. So if you can imagine, it's almost like insect-like, like robot-like. It's just a smooth dome. So she wakes up. It's seven odd in the morning. The glass is broken by the bed. The dog's not the bed. Guess what? She's had a terrible dream. She's got really bad pains in her eyes. She's got nosebleed. She's got severe cramps. Um, you know, she described them as period pains, cramps in her back. She goes to the toilet. She's sick. She's got diarrhea, nosebleed. So she assumes she's drank too much. She's come down with something. Again, this entire time, a lot of your, a lot of your viewers at home have already said she's been abducted by aliens. She's having encounters with alien beings. But her, no. She's saying... She drank too much. She had a bad dream. One of her friends must have come up to get the dog to take him out for a pee. So she goes back into the farmhouse. The friend's in bed. She gets him into bed with her friend. 
And she's like, oh, did you come and get the dog, Lenny, this morning? She said, no. So her friend gets up and said, where's Lenny? Where's the dog? So they go out, can't find the dog. Everyone's hung over looking for this dog. They call like local vets, the council, police, neighboring farms, just to see where the dog is. The dog was never seen again. And that began Susan's very vivid, strange, surreal and terrifying encounter. Like a lot of the stuff that happened to, especially over those three nights, so I know that you've read and I don't want to be like purposefully um, ambiguous with your audience, but it is just so difficult to try and, I spent so long on that book trying to make sense, that particular part of the book, of what was happening to her. So in a nutshell for your audience, for three nights, Susan would go to bed. She'd have a reoccurring dream, which followed the same pattern. And she would end up in a familiar place with a familiar person. But it was all askew. It'd be like it was in slow motion. It would be... Mm. everything was christmas everything was bright lights and snow but she wouldn't feel the cold and there would always be someone in the bar who would ask her a series of incredibly strange questions one the first one was her dad grandmother who was asking a question so look my friends need to know some things and susan was aware that there was people behind there which would be followed by incredibly searing pain in the back of the head into the eye the second time was her younger self and she's about seven doing some random psychological test like through telepathy which is an incredible thing to say in the beginning with asking things like uh if it was a fire who would you say first your mother and father and these these figures were answering in her brain saying oh she wouldn't she'd save her dad and her little self asked her if you were sexually abused would you enjoy it and these voices going, she would. And she was screaming ahead, no, no, no. And on the third night, they showed her, which is very, very common in a lot of alien abduction cases, which I have since found out. But they showed her this incredible, terrifying, apocalyptic scenario, which we can't discern, is that just Pembrokeshire or is that the world? And basically, Pembrokeshire, it's on fire. The estuary has got is, is just a ball of flame with the ships rolling, people are melting, kids are dying, there's ash raining from the sky. Milford Haven town is just a huge crater filling up with like the sea and steam. And it's just this horrific scenario. And we don't know if that is for all of us in the world, or is it just going to happen here in Pembrokeshire? So they, there's all these different things. So she saw UFOs, and one of them, which I found was very, very interesting was she saw this with a witness, which was also witnessed by 16 people, and it was documented. Mm-hmm. But she saw what she claimed, or what these people claim was, and it's a very common sighting. It's like a glass ball full of fire moving at incredible speeds and capability along the estuary. And it's been seen for years. Tugs have chased it. Motorists on the Claredite Bridge have seen it. After the book the investigation was finished and I was just putting that final chapter together, just seeing people didn't know what was in harvest, but I wanted people to give me some UFO encounters just to kind of put at the end of the book, see if there was any correlation between Susan's account, and what people are still experiencing. And this orange ball of light in what appears like in like a glass ball. It's so common. People have seen it all the time in here. And I guarantee as well, People worldwide watching this now, whether you're in America, in New Zealand, Australia, Britain, wherever, I bet you've had this experience with this red, orange ball of fire. It appears to be in a glass ball. And Susan, she called that the shepherds, right? 
she just tried to give things names to make sense, right? Because she says, when you see one of those things, an abduction's going to happen very soon after. It's so interesting what you just said. There are so many uh, patterns in that that people might recognize. And what you say is so true about people who have anomalous experiences, who their first impulse is to find some conventional way of explaining what has just happened. Some people will have an experience and say, uh, I know what I saw. Uh, it was this kind of being and I was abducted and this happened. Some people will say, I have this fragmentary memory. I'm not sure what happened next. But, you know, I reckon if we asked each other in our friendship circles, in our families, have you ever experienced something odd that you couldn't quite explain? I don't think there would be a family or a friendship circle anyway that wouldn't have a story. And it might be a story that they'll start telling and they'll say, but I think maybe this is this is what it was. <laughs> and Susan began that way. But you've just told us the beginning of the story, but it rolls on and on and it gets way beyond anything that she can explain away. You've also mentioned experiences that were part of her story that had corroborating witnesses, which I find just really compelling about her story. And then while I can see why you had been drawn into this case and thought, I've really got to probe this story and understand what this is about. And as you started doing that, um, you started having some odd experiences yourself. Can you tell us a bit about that? Like, I didn't know I was bipolar until last year, okay? Um, I don't wear it. It is what it is. It doesn't define me. Um, the manic highs have been a blessing. They've really helped me in my career. And the, the depression, the suicidal depression, is it is really tough. But it's something, you know, I try and work on. And So doing my line of work is probably not the best line of work to do. So back then, I certainly didn't know. I was, uh, you know, I was bipolar. And in 2017, I had a mini stroke. So... I'm trying to formulate all this stuff. But when I was talking to, this is really strange, okay? And as I said very early on in this interview, okay, I'm not an expert. I investigate at length individual paranormal accounts and present them in a way which I'm very, I think people really enjoy, to readers who investigate themselves. So when you read Harvest, A True Story of Alien Abduction, right, I am inviting you to read the book and make up your own mind. And if you want to get in touch with me, do you know what? I, I'd be absolutely delighted and thrilled. The more of you that do that, the more we can make that timeline bigger. And as Paul said, if we look back into our recollections and to you talk to our family and friends and work colleagues, we will find out that we always start by saying, oh, no, I don't believe in that. But there was this one time I saw this strange light. I don't believe in ghosts, but... When but. my mum died, I saw her at the bottom of the stairs. Or when my dad died, he was at the end of my bed. Right? So they don't believe, but everyone's got that big butt, okay? So um, Susan had claimed that she was getting very strange sounds coming through car radios, mobile phones, things of that nature. And... One night, I walked home from a very, very heavy session of interview with Susan. This was conducted in her house. So just, we don't do it. In, we meet in a coffee shop, and then we find a private location. And I always, if it's a female uh, involved, I always offer to bring in a female psychologist, 
just because in this day and age you can't just walk in someone's house and talk about this stuff and you know all that stuff it's just protecting both of us right mm. so walk home and you walk in home right and you're under the stars in your sleepy town of Halford West and suddenly you stop that that non-bias you have that ambiguity that sitting on the fence you have suddenly becomes what if what if what if and you've got a fight you've got to fight to stay in that middle ground you've got to fight you've got it whatever's going on you know some people assume that means susan had a romantic relationship just based on how our relationship formed towards the end no i had to be impartial straight down the middle constantly right as much as i care for that woman spent six years with her, paul paul i've known you a year right and I care about you and I worry about you and your family with the fires and, and all the stuff going on in the world, right? So after six years of going to this woman's home, interviewing her, getting into her head, right? Really getting into her head, while at the same time trying to keep shields up to make sure she doesn't get into mine, right? So I was walking home mm. and I just started not panicking, just becoming really fearful. Oh my God, you know, everybody that Susan has come into contact with about this, um, have either left her, got seriously ill, or died. And, and guys, she's people have died. Her auntie and cat died really quickly after being drawn into this experience. Okay, the thing with a cat was horrific. Mm. That was horrendous. Mm. Anyway, I'm an animal lover, so I went home, and I've got two phones, like Walter White. I've got two phones, right? I've got a professional phone and just a gab phone. My gab phone rang, and coming out my phone was a series of clicks and sounds like static. And then it just hung up and there was no number or anything. So I remember that night sat there thinking, mm. what's going on? You know, because you start to think then conspiracies, you know, men in black, government agents, the government, the military, you know, you start to think that you start to, you, you, it'd be very easily to get drawn into the paranoia of conspiracy when something like that happens. Never happened mm. again. But then there's other accounts that I'd later learn with, with Susan that have very similar traits to that again. And you start to think that one moment really worried me because with the haunted horror of Hafford West case, it was in the house with go sex, the violation it focused on one woman. It did move with her from a boat to a boat, but it didn't seem to attach to anyone else. But this, this affects everyone, Paul. It affects you, it affects me, mm -hmm. your family. Wherever your audience is listening to and watching this right now, you could, by all intents and purposes, have the exact same experience as, uh, as Susan in Harvest, okay? And by the end of this journey, this investigation, I realized I'm done with the investigating. I'm not doing anymore. It's too much for me. Psychologically, it's too much. I am very empathic in terms of I feel people's pain. I write, people read my stuff and I said, you know, Gavin, I got that real sense of dread, anxiety, paranoia, fear, depression. You know, we get that sense from you because I live it and I can translate my subject's feelings to the page. And not trying to sound like arrogant, big-headed, but people say I'm a method writer. I take the pain and the despair from my subjects and I live it so that I can put it in the book. And I can't do it anywhere. It had a profound effect on me. Absolutely broke me.
anyone who reads the book will be able to understand that because it's it's hard to read it's it's very disturbing it's very affecting and uh, ruth and i when we were reading through it it was the thing we'd be thinking about and talking about every night before we went to bed and that was just through reading the book a little bit at a time so if you're actually inhabiting that world for six years to research the case and produce the book, I can completely understand why it would have that kind of an impact on you. How, how are you now? Have you recovered from the experience of, of writing the book? Because right now, of course, you're, you're launching Harvest and you're talking about it a great deal. Are you finding that easy to do or is it, is it, is it keeping you anxious as you talk about it? There's, there's two answers to that. Number one, um, I'm more gnarly right now, but that could be just like the late nights and stuff. Um, like I, I, am, I am having to fight the, the, the downs of my bipolar, like the negatives that the I am fighting it. But what happened, which surprised me, because I was, I'll be honest with everyone, I, I was really dreading it, okay? Because, um, I, you know, after Haunted Horror of Half and West, and particularly Ghost Sex Violation, I had a lot of flack right um particularly down here there's a, a troop of ghost hunters they're they're just very insecure they're bullies trolls they just go out your way after you and with this you just think well i'm just opening myself up again you know when you're bipolar but then again it's the business i'm in it's what i'm good at and you know my books are sold you know over a hundred thousand copies across the world people get in touch with me all the time and the more i worried the more I started just fueling that conviction. This isn't about me. This harvest, the true story of alien abduction, is not about me, right? It's not. It's nothing to do with me other than I took the time to, to put it together. This is about Susan. This is about everybody on the planet that has ever existed, that has ever had an ET encounter or UFO sighting. This is for every single person out there that has been lobbying and fighting for disclosure. This is another bullet in, in the war against uh, for the truth. OK, that yeah. is my conviction. And I'm very passionate about it. Susan, in my opinion, is not a crank. She is not a fantasist. She's not psychologically deluded. She is not getting anything from this. This is a warning to the rest of the world that this can happen to anyone, okay? Think about it, right? On average, 625,000 people a year go missing in America. Of course, not all of those have been abducted by aliens. People die. People have mental breakdowns, join cults, serial killers, change their name, get off the grid, right? Something like 1.35% of missing people per year in America are unsolved mysteries, right? So we're talking seven, eight thousand people a year, right? So even if we brought that down to one point two five percent, right? There's people simply go missing, right? Every ninety seconds, somebody goes missing in the UK. Same thing. Cults, murders, drop off the radar. We're in Ireland. Thirty thousand people a year go missing in Australia, mm. right? So if the way my analogy is right, there are beings out there i don't know if they're alien or dimensional i don't know i haven't got that evidence right you said some very very interesting stuff in escape from eden and in past podcasts and interviews about there was a cabal 
and that there's a possibility that they have an agreement, that there's different alien races or dimensional races, and they've all got different agendas. Some of them are trying to spiritually enhance us. Some of us see us as cattle. They just see us as livestock. And they do to us what they want to do. You know, think about what we do to animals. Susan isn't wasn't some pious rant that she's some activist trying to change the environment and how we treat animals. That is just a comparison on her experience of how we treat animals, okay? You know, we kill dolphins. And when I say we, probably not this audience, but there's people in the world kill dolphins and whales and sharks to use as an aphrodisiac so some guy can get his rocks off and valentines right you know my grand's friend had a monkey's paw as an ashtray which she bought in like africa in the 1930s or 40s right we don't respect mm. animal life on this planet not some of us do but the majority when we drive past a field full of cows we don't think oh bless them we don't think about how that cow feels when its calf is taken from them or when it's loaded into a truck to the abattoir and it's watching the cows up front have a bolt in its head. We don't care because they're cows, right? We don't care. They're cows. They are there for us to eat. They are there for us to wear. Mm. They are there for us to use as a com commodity. Animals to us are a resource, right? You know, so when you have in your steak, you don't think about where it's come from. You're just thinking it's, it's fuel for me. It tastes good. Now, part of this cabalist agenda, right? You've got these beings up there, right? Some of them want to help us. Some of them want to enhance us. Some of them want to experiment on us. Some want to see what the environmental effects of our planet is having on us, nuclear activities having on us. And some of them, they're just going to take us, right, regardless, and they're going to do what they want. And Susan, on board a vessel, craft, factory, base, we don't know, just cavernous, strange, anomalous place, she saw thousands of women naked, being herded into different sections, right? And some of them were getting probed and having like needles and pipes taking things from the vaginal region, the anus, the eyes, nose, mouth, skin samples, two women giving birth and the baby's being taken. The umbilical cord just ripped. Things just taking the babies off and then these weird gelatinous blob sack creatures just falling on top of the prone women. Two older women, uh, women with diseases, she assumed uh, disabilities, being fully harvested. I'm, I'm talking literally every the entire essence of life sucked out of them and nothing is left, right? So people say, well, if that's happening, how does it happen? Now, Paul, if I came to your home and for a hundred nights just took a dollar from your wallet, you're probably not going to notice. But if I came and I took all your money and all your credit cards, you know you're going to be robbed. There's 225 odd countries in, in the world, okay? You take out the little ones like the Vatican and whatnot, right? So you've got 200 countries, right? Right? Yeah, we'll talk about them later. You get 200, you've got 200 uh, countries on the planet, okay? And these alien beings or dimensional beings, they take two from America, two from Canada, two from Britain, and so on every night. That's 400 women a night, right? That's what, 2,000 mm -hmm. a week, right? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, what's that? My master's over, what's that? 200,000 a year. 2 million a decade, 20 million a century, and no one will ever know, and no one will ever notice, because it's such a small figure in the grand scheme of things. See, this is the amazing scope of Harvest. It's it's a case study in, in one woman's experience, but the implications of the story uh, and what she experienced and what she saw are enormous. I've been discovering in my research that stories of abduction harvesting, hybridization 
are told in every culture all around the world, world mythologies all around the world, ancestral narratives have this story. And I could name a number of countries, Ghana, Kenya, down to the southern cone of South Africa, all up the western seaboard of Africa, into the Caribbean, Brazil, Cuba, Haiti, as far east as the Philippines, Scotland, Wales, Ireland. They all have indigenous narratives that talk about abduction of human beings for some kind of a harvesting and hybridization program. It is a very widespread and ancient story. And yet, when an individual in the 21st century comes forward with a story like this, we startle as if we'd never heard the like before. But it is such a widespread and ancient story. Now, given that, and then what you were just saying about the, the huge scope of the question of why are people going missing? And where are they going? And with the numbers being as shocking as they are, why isn't that front and center in the news from day to day? Why, why is that all sort of cordoned off to one side? So I'm working my way towards a question. If the knowledge is that widespread, if people going missing is that big a problem, and if in 2021 uh, the governments of the world can finally acknowledge that we've been engaging with What's the phrase? Off-world vehicles not made on this earth. We've got the U.S. Navy talking about it. We've got Pentagon representatives talking about it. We've got Alain Jouillet, the former head of French intelligence, talking about it. If finally there's this government acknowledgement of that, that there's been engagement, investigation for 70 years of UFO craft, does the government know what we're talking about. Do, do they know about abductions? Do they know about the scale of it? Do they know what's going on in, in this area? So I'll put you on the spot. What And you mentioned the Vatican, so I'll include that in the governments of the world. Do you think our governments know that something of this kind is going on? I believe they do. I really do. Um, you know, for years, researchers claimed the United States government was running a top secret program and research into UFO phenomenon. And then time and time again, the authorities denied everything, telling the media and the public that there was no official interest in the subject. You know, and, and UFOs have been written off for years as mirages, misidentifications, hoaxes and delusions or at best prototype aircraft and missiles uh, from the US or maybe a country like Russia. And even though Project Blue Book investigated over 12,000 UFO sightings, 701 of those remained a complete mystery. And UFOs were seen by police, military people, commercial aviators, doctors, nurses, politicians, royalty, I think Prince Philip saw one, not that I probably believe him, scientists and even presidents. But the media normally ignored it or ridiculed it, you know, in portraying people as conspiracy nuts and fantasists, you know, little green men in tinfoil hats and anal probes. It's just a big pun fest for the tabloid papers, right? And we have known this whole time. It's just the media has told us what to believe. You know, you can go down that rabbit hole as deep as you want. You can go down that rabbit hole. There's a lot of evidence emerging in the last five, 10 years, particularly of people who work for intelligence agencies saying they pay off editors of papers, you know. And the thing is, they would do it with the larger papers. So the littler papers wouldn't do it because they just follow suit. You know, they follow mm -hmm. suit. So we mm -hmm. knew people like me and you 
and your audience and everyone at Fifth Kind TV. We knew, right, that there was something going on. When Mikhail Gorbachev, leader the second most powerful nation at the time, you know, after the US, said the phenomena of UFOs is real and it must be treated seriously. Me and you and your audience knew something was going on. When with that 1990 odd Belgian footage of the Belgian aircraft chasing, chasing a UFO on, and it was it was recorded on radar, right? Mm. And it was doing incredible things. Okay, we do live in a in a world of drones and incredible things, but when aircraft, our best pilots and our most capable aircraft are chasing objects mm. that outmaneuver us. At every opportunity our best our best pilots can't keep up with these things and then the pentagon uh well the first was december 2017 when they came out with that footage right of the aircraft uh, chasing these objects right that wasn't on a conspiracy website that wasn't on a ufo forum that was in a fact-checked article with the new york times right yeah so that it, that period of soft disclosure is now and that is coming from our governments, right? They know exactly what is going on. Now, my reasoning is, and again, everybody, this is just a theory. I'm not, I'm not an expert. You know, there's people out there who know a lot more about the subject. I'm just going on my gut on this one, right? We've known for this for 70 years, but, but because we couldn't control the narrative, we hid it. We hid it, right? Because we couldn't do anything about it. Can a cow... Mm realistically stop the farmer loading it into the truck to put a bolt in its head no right we are pretty powerless against these 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 beings now you could argue if there's a cabal there's an agenda of aliens up there that maybe we have got some treaties for some i don't know but if our governments they know about what's going on they've always known what's been going on right we've known what has been going on since time immemorial is just our interpretation of it. We've known about it forever. Mm. All of your audience knows what's going on. So why are our governments not, not opening up about it, right? And a simple reason is, right, because that would make us powerless, right? It would make mm. us powerless, right? So I believe we are on the cusp of some technology or something where we are better able to defend or negotiate with these things. We've all seen these videos, right? A light's coming in and then thump, a big light or a beam or something will just shoot from the earth and that thing will fly off, right? I think it's been, I think it's been open season on there for a very, very long time. And suddenly I think we're getting a little bit bolder. Maybe there has been an agreement. Maybe we've got the tech to fight back. Think about it. Mm. If all the Roswell conspiracies are right, you know, we are anxious to get that tech working for us. You know, uh, what's his name? Was it Gary McKinnon? Was it Gary McKinnon? He yes, was, that's right. Gary McKinnon. The hacker. The hacker, right? He yeah. hacked, he hacked, uh, you know, the, the Pentagon and NASA and got all these files. And he claimed that there was technology we were working on. He claims he had a picture of some weird spacecraft. And I believe he claimed there was like seven or eight uh, officers who were no longer operating on the actual planet, right? And... For the conspiracists and the and the hard skeptics, or what a load of rubbish! Americans were very very hard to extradite young Gary uh, and put uh, and put him in in jail, right? And it was a huge hoo ha, right? And guess what? Soon as Trump is elected, he creates the space force. So what Gary McKinnon was seeing, he was seeing the space force in in its formation. 
So there is an active, uh, there is an active uh, work going on from nations on this planet to deal with, act against, or defend. I don't know, right? Definitely. So but you said Ronald about Ronald Reagan. Ron Reagan and the Reagan. I was just going to say. Ronald Reagan had yeah. his Star Wars uh, initiative, which was uh, really the first iteration of, of, of what Trump's been talking about. I live just down the road from a facility that uh, was working on that technology. And I remember at the time, this was uh, 1980, oh, when was it? 1980-something. Um, there was a real question hanging in the air as to what this really was. Was this space-bound technology for terrestrial wars or were we preparing ourselves to defend ourselves against... An, there was a phrase Reagan even used with the word alien in it, alien threat. That was his language. The Reykjavik Accord. So it was there. It was being talked about. Um, I'm going to come back in a moment to what, what we can do about it, but I, I don't want to miss something that touches on the mythological aspect. Before I forget it, I want to ask you this. Owls. Um, because in Susan's experience, there were things that were happening to her that make it sound like her consciousness was really being interfered with. And uh, I think she had some visions of owls. And there's a bigger context to, to people experiencing owls in relation to ET phenomena and abduction phenomena. Can you just tell us a little something about that? And then we'll come back to the what can we do about it? Yeah, I was really fascinated by a lot of the imagery that uh, Susan communicated me in Harvest, right? And that's another reason. I know it sounds like I'm just trying to hard sell this book, but I want people to read it okay. I want people to read Harvest, A True Story of Alien Abduction, because my interpretation is just my interpretation. And there's people out there, they're older, they're younger, they've got different interpretations, different lifestyles, different experiences. And the more people that read Harvest, A True Story of Alien Abduction, the more interpretations we can get and put it into like a big pile and then i'll probably go through that as well to make sense of it but susan there was two animals are very very significant uh to her mm -hmm. actual uh, testimony one was the owl and one was the fox and the fox was uh was in a lot of dreamlike states and actually in her consciousness she would see the owl uh, the, the the fox and the fox seemed to symbolize her us um in her mind it, it formed the fox as vulnerable you know, and then the owl, um, the owl was very, very regular thing. And that would often herald, she would kind of have a juxtaposition of images of these red lights and the owl. So that she believed that whenever she saw the owl or the red lights, that uh, an abduction was imminent. So if people are worried about this and you have these experiences of owls and red lights, then probably an abduction is imminent. But what you can do about it, I don't know. I really don't know what you can do about it, if that is helpful at all. So in history, in, in like, uh, you know, abduction mythology and history, the owl is very prevalent because they believe that these beings use like a mask in technology or implant or suppress images and replace it. So very, very physically, I was speaking to someone recently um about their positive alien abduction and they said that they kept having a dream that the raccoons were going through the bins and that they'd get up in the night and the raccoon would be in the bin and just looking at them but under regression 
there was regular ET encounters and including, you know, uh, mm. period on board a spacecraft. And if you look, owls, raccoons, deer, creatures with big eyes in particular seem to be the, the floated ingrained image or memory over what these actually aliens look like. But what really fascinated me about Susan, she could recall the majority of this without regression. And I think that is quite rare. I think a lot of it is so deeply supplanted into our subconscious that we don't actually know what happened. We're ill. We've had a bad night's sleep. We've got stomach pains. We must be run down. We don't actually realize the truth is going on. And uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically, like, they, did they just mask themselves with, with, with other creatures so that we just think what happened was just perfectly normal? Yes, uh, I think it is unusual that uh, someone remembers as much as, as Susan did. And I think that's the great gift of of her story and the case study that you've made of Susan, because many people will have experiences that are really confusing, fragmentary. Uh, a lot of people will have the beginning of an, an encounter that they'll remember, and then the rest is a bit of a blur. But Susan was able to give you a lot of detail about her experience. And I love how even though you tell us a great deal about what she experienced, what she shared with you, you do it in a way that really leaves the ball in the court of the reader to decide what they think happened and what they think is real, what they think is, is an interpretation. And these are some of the questions that a reader will come away with having read Harvest. You really come away puzzling over what, what really did happen and then what does it mean? And that's, that's really the question I want to ask. What do you think it means? What's the therefore for any of us who read Harvest to come away? What, what can we do about what we've read? First of all, right, I want people to read Harvest because I think this is more common than than we believe that we've been led to believe. And I think we are in that period of soft disclosure. So I think before writing this, I was very worried about how alien abduction would be judged by, by people. But since the soft disclosure in December uh, 2017, and then again, a lot of people missed it. It happened again this year on June the 22nd. Guess what? Right smack down in the middle of the uh, protests in America. The news was filled up with all the stuff, the, you know, the pandemic, the race riots, political discord. And in amongst that, there was a nice little story from the Pentagon uh, actively investigating unidentified aerial phenomenon. And they, they, they shared the same footage they shared in 2017, right? So yeah. I said to one of my colleagues about it, I said, do you see that news story? And he said to me, what are you on about? That was ages ago, right? So now we're already in that period of self-disclosure where we're accepting it, yeah? So yes. during the height of probably one of the most frightening times in American history, it, America literally became like one of the purge movies, right? It was really terrifying. This was disclosed, okay? So right now, what has happened just fortuitously, you know, coincidentally, and for you as well, Paul, is that our books have come out at a time in a period of soft disclosure. So no longer can we discredit what we are talking about the research because now it is very, very plausible. And you were saying about 
what can we do? What can we do? Now, if we could stop this, we would have, right? So I think what we're doing is the Reykjavik Accord between Gorbachev and Reagan, they signed a peace treaty saying that should something come from not of this world, they would work together. They put aside the differences to sort that out before going back to business, all right? So mm. Carter knew, Reagan knew, Clinton was going on about it. Barack Obama was asked on TV. You can look into this how you want. He said, uh, mm. he's asked about our little Gil, uh, have we had direct contact with aliens? And he just went, Oh, we yeah we uh, we haven't uh, no not direct. So what we've had indirect contact? What are you trying to say to me? You know, I just yeah. say no, say no, no, we haven't. You know, and hopefully in your lifetime you'll see. It. But now, nah. and there is always forms of spaces, and I think it's gone back, particularly since the nineteen forties. Um, we realised it was a major threat, and I don't think we've been able to do very much. And if we are negotiating with them, I bet we have got very loose terms. I bet we haven't got much say in it whatsoever. Now. My concern is, right, if the American government and the Russian governments know about this, they are obviously powerless to do anything because if a Russian and a North Korean and a Chinese fight aircraft flew into North American airspace, right, unchallenged, unopposed, there would be an outcry from the American people. They say, why are you letting this happen? And you are putting us in danger, right? And then... Imagine those same nations were abducting people from the West Coast, of the, from Los Angeles, California, just abducting people willy-nilly. And then you found out those people had been harvested into nothing, tortured, part of hybridization programs, experimented on. America and its allies would go to war like that, which makes mm. me feel that they feel they are powerless. I don't believe there's an agreement. Maybe I'm wrong. My gut instinct, there isn't an agreement. I believe if there's an agreement, it's simply because we can't do anything, right? And my mm. mission is, right, let's keep that pressure on. What you're doing, Paul, with Escaping from Reading, one of the best books I've ever read, and I mean that genuinely. Thank you for bringing that to us, right? What Fifth Kind TV is doing, what Harvest, the True Story of Alien Abduction is doing, and everyone else out there that is discussing the UFO phenomenon, is discussing alien life, the existence of alien life. If we keep talking about it and we make it acceptable conversation where you don't have to go to someone at the mm. water cooler and go, oh, did you see that thing about UFOs? No, I'm not, a, I'm not crazy. Let's make it part of the narrative. And the more we accept it as a whole, the more the media will give us more. They will feed us more to eventually... Yeah. We can go to our governments, to our, uh, our governors, to our mayors, to our city chiefs or whoever, and say, we need to know what is going on. And if there is something going on, what are you doing to protect us? That is what I want. That's what Suze wants. Harvest, the true story of alien abduction. Mm -hmm. It is a warning to every man, woman and child on this planet that we are not as sophisticated or as strong as we think we are, and we are actually defenseless. Now, I said in the book, it was quite immature, I think, for me to say. I think I was just caught up in a moment at the end. Um, and I said, guys, we need to, uh, I, I said something along the lines, we need to tool up and we need to protect our families. And I believe that. But what ultimately can we do? Shall we all just sit around in the house garden, our kids with shotguns and all? You know, because we can't. These, these creatures, yeah. they can control time. 
They can control our physics. They can control our technology. They can control us psycho psychologically, uh, psychologically and physiologically. They have total control of us. So if this is happening, and obviously the greatest, biggest uh, militaristic nation on the planet has started telling us that it is real, then we need to be defended because for too long, yes. too many people have been abducted and how many people have gone missing and they'll never be seen again. How many people, Paul, people may be watching this right now, are sat there waiting for someone to come through that door who's been missing a month, a year, 10 mm -hmm. years. And guess what? They don't even exist anymore. They're not even on this planet anymore. And we don't know why. We don't even know why. And I just ask people to read Harvest and talk about Harvest. Watch Fifth Kind and talk about Fifth Kind. Read Escaping from Eden and talk about Escaping from Eden. Not as if it's kind of like behind your hand, like, oh, yeah, this UFO guy. Talk about it as what if and why is it happening and what can we do to stop it? Yeah. Well, that's my passion as well. I think what we can do is to break the taboo so that we can talk to each other about this subject without fear of ridicule, but also to listen to each other's stories. Because as I said earlier, I don't think there would be a friendship circle or a family anywhere that wouldn't have an anomalous story to share about the kind of things we've been talking about. And if we as regular people can just break the taboo and listen to one another's stories, then I think our natural networks become the medium of disclosure. And that's really what I took away from Harvest, a real um, call on people to start talking and listening without the fear of uh, ridicule keeping us all silent. But coming back to Harvest, I want to say thank you so much for writing the book because I think it's such a courageous book. You've really uh, put your neck on the block by putting this out there. And I believe it will promote a lot of conversation. If somebody reads this, they're going to want to give it to all their family, uh, not kids. It's an M-rated book. And I think it will create a lot of conversation. Uh, so after Harvest, what next for Geo Davies? What, what, is there going to be a Harvest Part 2? I know you said you weren't going to do another investigation of this kind because of the toll that it takes. So what will you do next? To be honest, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for that wonderful endorsement. You are really leading this charge for the 21st century, Paul, as is Fifth Kind, as is the Escaping from Eden books and all the subsequent sequels. You're leading that charge, and I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be running alongside you with this and to your audience as well thank you for listening to something i'm really pa passionate about and i think that just echoing what you said i think with harvest not only is it a talking point not only is harvest a true story of alien abduction something that we need to understand but i think for a lot of people maybe not necessarily your audience but like general readers will pick it up and actually think oh my gosh i've had a similar experience and if we can all start to relate to this experience, not just us, not just the people on this channel who, who, who are interested and enthusiastic for this topic, but if we can make the, the broader consensus actually think, do you know what? I've had very similar experiences to Susan. I, I have actually, I can relate to a lot of Harvest, a true story of alien abduction, and I want to find out more. 
I need to find out more and I need to find out what we're doing. And what I'm thinking of doing, actually, Paul, is like I'm going to have a bit of a break, a little bit of a break. I've still got many, many months of promotion to do. And even if I just reach one person out there and they pick up Harvest and they're like, do you know what? That has really opened my mind. I'm going to lend it to someone or recommend it to someone or talk to people about it. I feel like not only have I, but Susan, we've we've accomplished something. That's what Susan wants. She wants to accomplish something. So what I'm doing, what I think next is, right, I've set up uh, an email and it's harvestalienabduction at gmail.com. That's harvestalienabduction at gmail.com, just specifically for this, okay? And I want people who read Harvest, I would love it if they got back to me with their interpretations, their events, their theories, even if they're highly skeptical and they want to go the, the rational and psychological route. I will very much appreciate that. And I also want to hear a people's accounts also. Whatever on the spectrum of encounter you've had, whether it was incredibly positive, whether it was something just a little strange and surreal, or if it was something horrific, and I hope it isn't, but if it, there is a large portion of people out there having really bad experiences, I want to start collating all that information. And then maybe in a few years' time, we can take Susan's testimony from Harvest and put it into a broader arena and say, right, we've had X amount of uh, similar uh, interactions here, this demograph, this person, mm. this country, this physiology, this medical condition. And then we can start to actually blueprint and map out who is most at risk. Because if our governments aren't being open about doing that for us, maybe we've got to do it ourselves. Maybe we've got to take control of this and say to our governments, you know, yeah. we are at risk. And I, I think that's going to be my plan. Um, and then I'm just going to do what I do. I work with authors. I love working with authors. It's my passion. I'm a publicist. I'm a head of marketing for a publishing company. And I'm going to keep doing that. But I'll always, always have one foot. One foot in the paranormal world. I'll always have that interest. But I'm 45. I've had a mini stroke. I'm bipolar. I'm exhausted. And it, it's, it's, it's the stuff I've, I've worked on, Haunted, Horror of Haverford West, Ghost Acts of Violation, and, and Harvest, The True Story of Alien Abduction. I think just one of those would be enough for, for a human being. But to do three of them in 10 years, it's, it's really, really exhausted me. And I want to, you know, I want to have a good life. But I will always, always fly the flag for Susan and Diane Ann. And Lisa, the other subjects of my books, I'll always talk about it. I'll always be proud of what we've done. I'll always, you know, whether people want to criticize me. I don't think people are going to criticize me this time around. I think they're actually going to embrace it. I'm proud of what I've done. And it's been a great 10 years. And not only have I been able to bring these stories to life, these accounts and testimonies to life and share them to, to the world. I've got to meet amazing people. I met my subject. I met you, Paul. I met the people behind Fifth Kind TV. I've made abductees from all over the world. Uh, people have had paranormal experiences from all over the world. And the majority of them are amazing people. They're just brilliant people just trying to make sense of something so incredibly bizarre. Gavin, it's been wonderful talking to you today. And I hope you'll come back and talk with us another time. But while we have you... Let us know how we can uh, follow you and keep up with what you're doing. 
Thank you so much, Paul. And Fifth Kind Harvest, a true story of alien ab abduction, is available from wherever books are sold. It's flying high up the ch in the charts at the moment. It's been pretty much uh, the, the hot new release in ufology in, in Britain, America, and Australia now for the last couple of months. Um, you can get it Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, Hive, IndieBound. It's been published with John Hunt Publishing, and it's in print sick-books.com. If you're really knowledgeable like if you really uh got this this first for for more knowledge about the paranormal head over to www.sick-books.com that's the number six th-books.com okay loads of books about ufos ghosts mediumship psychics ability some amazing authors some of the best authors in the world there anything to do with me the paranormal chronicles we've got a great facebook group page we've got a like page i'm on twitter at paranormal cron Instagram, if you want to find out more about beautiful Pembrokeshire, head over to my Instagram, The Paranormal Chronicles. Uh, and then, of course, harvestalienabduction at gmail.com. If you want to email me, read Harvest, let me know. Honestly, if you let me know, good or bad, what you believe, let me know what you think of Harvest, that harvestalienabduction at gmail.com, because you are helping Susan, you are helping me, you are helping the bigger picture. You are helping Paul. And guess what? I want to hear from you. I'll get back to you as soon as humanly possible, but I will get back to you. And no, it's a safe haven. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to label you. Even if you do say your husband is an octopus in the shower, I will still take the time to read and respond, okay? So harvest the true story of alien abduction wherever books are, are found. And if you want to read my other stuff, Harvest, Ghost Sex, The Violation, and Haunted Horror of Haverford West, go to theparanormalchronicles.com or just search for them on Amazon. But thank you so much for this wonderful op opportunity, Paul. You're an incredible guy, and Escaping from Eden, e sorry, Escaping from Eden is my number one read this year. It is an important read. And if you are watching this, you haven't read it yet, couldn't read it. Got two great books, Harvest and Escaping from Eden. Get into those, it will change your world. Uh, thank you, Gavin. I really appreciate you saying that. And folks, all those links, they're going to be in the comments. If you didn't catch them all, you'll be able to find them all. It's been such fun talking to you today, Gavin. Thank you for being on Fifth Kind TV. We'll have you back here again uh, very, very soon, I hope. So, GR Davies, thank you so much. Fifth Kind TV.